Oh, it's, it's good to be back. This is legitimately my home away from home. This is my third time this year, and I'm always just like overly excited to just come back to One Church Dover. I'm not kidding. I don't just say that everywhere. I'm quite harsh to other congregations, uh, you know, because they make me come out. I choose to come here. You guys still haven't fixed the first free row thing, though, have you? Uh, I was here in September. I had my mum with me. Uh, she's gone back to Australia now. And uh, I told her I was speaking at a dedication today. What a, what a joy to be able to, to just be a part of that. And so she sent for you, so I have no say in it, she sent for you a photo of my baptism 40 years ago um, that I have to put up. A um, couple of disturbing things about this picture. The first is, I didn't go to church again for 20 years. I blame that dress. That dress will keep a man out of church for 20 years. The second disturbing thing is, it was great to be with my mum, but I have no idea why Saddam Hussein was there. <laughs> and why he felt the need to have a family photo with us. I mean, anyone under 30, that just went right over the head. Anyway, so mum thought that you guys would like to see that. She really loved being here uh, in September when she came. Um, I, uh, I, I don't get to preach today. It's more of an exaggerated thought. I've been told I got 15 minutes and I've wasted five on a photo of Saddam Hussein. So um, we got to get into it. So I was thinking about if we could, we could have a thought right now that would uh, touch on this moment, this dedication. I thought about um, Jesus and obviously uh, in church. It's good. Touch on Jesus. But man, his, I was thinking of his miracles because he had some bangers. And he healed a lot of people. And I was looking at the people he healed. And um, she's not my biggest fan. I get it. Um, but he healed a lot of people. He healed the blind. He healed lepers. He healed the paralyzed. He healed a woman who was bleeding. He healed the sick. It said he healed someone with dropsies. So there's hope for the English cricket team. Said, I don't actually know anything about cricket. Do they drop the ball? I don't know. <laughs> I just assume they're bad at it. So <laughs> he healed the man with a withered hand. He healed a deaf mute. He even helped Lazarus out of a nasty case of being dead. So he healed a lot of people. But I think sometimes we get caught up on the miracle that we don't sit long enough in that moment to understand the full depth of what is going on. So to, to understand that is to understand what healing really meant back in Jesus' day. It wasn't just something that addressed the illness or the physical. When someone was healed, they, they talked about healing, they talked about the total restoration of someone's well-being, the restoration of their meaning of life, the restoration of their value, the, the ability to bring them back into society. This was much more than just addressing an illness. It was a bigger picture. And I think that's the powerful thing about some of these miracles that we miss because we're so quick to get excited about the miracle that we miss the impact. And so I wanted to just really quickly, because we don't have much time at all, I wanted to just touch on a real quick miracle at the beginning of Matthew chapter 8. So I'll just read the first two verses. It said, when D Jesus came down from the mountains, large crowds followed him. 
A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So this is a significant moment. This floor has gotten a lot, either I've gained a lot of weight or this floor has gotten a lot of creakier. And I'm not even convinced which one is true. (laughs) You're supposed to say it's the floor. (laughs) Seriously, do you want me to keep loving coming back? Man. Yeah, but have you seen those heels? I mean, those heels, that's some talent. I mean, my ankles would snap in those heels, not because of how heavy I am. <laughs> so anyway, thanks, Beth. That's probably the third time I visited Dover this year and the third time Beth called me fat. So, <laughs> all right. So real affirming warning for me. So this leper who came to Jesus for healing, let's get back on track. He, he, um, he didn't say, will you heal me? He said, can you make me clean? You see, what happened is he suffered a condition that made him socially unacceptable. It devalued him and made him unwelcome. They considered his condition something that was unclean and unholy. So he was banished from social circles to protect the rest of the community because he was considered unclean. So he had to live outside of the community so he didn't pollute the rest of the population. But then because his condition of uncleanliness posed such a threat, they had this system, and I'm just reading this, it's really interesting. It said, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkept, and cover the lower part of their face. I mean, that sounds like a hipster in COVID. Uh, They need to know, Leviticus needs to know, torn clothes, unkept hair, that's come back in style. We're all really confused right now. It's great when a joke bombs and there's like two people that appreciate you. (laughs) But it said, anyone with such defiling disease much wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkept, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. So not only was this man exiled from community, exiled from being around people, if he got near people, he had to yell out, unclean, unclean, unclean. You imagine the state of his soul to be exiled to be considered unclean. That's not, this is not like you're going through something, we're praying for you. It's you are unclean, go away. And if we see you, make sure you yell what you are. I mean, this is pretty, pretty bleak. And so what happens is Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. His infection was banished by Jesus' words. We know that. How many other stories are there where things changed because of Jesus' word alone? So his infection was banished by Jesus' words. But his loneliness and his soul was touched by Jesus' hand. There was no need for Jesus to touch him. That's crossing a line. You're not allowed to touch people who are unclean. Jesus is touching the untouchable. He is crossing a line that shouldn't be crossed. A line that he doesn't have to cross because his words alone has always been enough to deal with the situation. But the situation was bigger than this man's illness. The situation about, was about the total restoration of this human being. It wasn't enough to heal the condition. 
He had to touch his soul. He had to touch his heart. And, and that's why I think this is one of the things we miss when we look at these stories. Because community is important. It played a part in the dedication. That's why I thought, if we're going to talk about something on a dedication, let's talk about community. Because I know when we do the dedication, we're going to talk about the importance of community. Community is important. See, if you look at these stories where Jesus heals people, it's not always clear whether that total restoration led to someone making a faith decision. That's not always made clear. That's left for us to question. That's left for us to wonder. But what is always clear is this outcast who is outcasted because something is wrong with them. Most of the time, not their fault. They are now allowed to be brought back. They are restored to community, restored to society. They were out and now they're in. And that's because community is important. You see, opinions is language of the head. We love arguing opinions. But belief and belief systems is language of the heart. And people's beliefs don't shift if they don't feel safe, they don't feel secure, and they don't feel like they belong. We can't underestimate the importance of community. Even for ourselves as believers, the minute we think we can do this without community, we're lying to ourselves. You know, that picture, which is awful, it's truly horrendous. It made me think of something else. I was, I was sitting in a hotel this morning. I was thinking of another strange childhood memory. And the strange childhood memory was, um, when, I was when I was growing up on our street, there was a couple of men on the street that, for whatever reason, a couple of times a week, would water their driveway. They would just go out onto the street after work and water their driveway. I kid you not. Now, I don't know how much water a concrete driveway requires. It's obviously important because they were committed to it. I'm kidding you not. This, this was a thing that just like, broke my brain as a kid. I'd be like, Dad, why are they watering the driveway? And in Australia, some of the driveways go like this. So they're watering from the bottom. It's just coming right back at them. Like, are they hoping like if we, if we keep it in the sun and we water it, we're going to get like a multi-story car park eventually? Like, are they trying to, like, is this the male equivalent of a rose garden? Man, I'm going to charge rent on these extra spaces. But no, I kid you not, a couple of times a week, these men would water their concrete driveways. And what I saw was watering your driveway was like the bat signal to the other men in the neighborhood, come out and have a chat. Because other men would come out and either water their driveway beside the person's driveway or stand next to the guy and chat with him as he continued to water his concrete driveway. And what I learned about these men was that they had family and they had work, but this act this sacred act multiple times a week of watering their driveway was their version of community. That was the only social interaction they had outside of family and work. I think it's great they had that. I think it's depressing that that's all that was. You know, God often said in, in the beginning when he saw what Adam got up to without Eve, it's not good for man to be alone. It's obviously not good for man to be alone. Imagine how much water we would waste if we were on our own. Our concrete driveways are responsible for global warming. I don't want to hear about carbon emissions. Got to stop watering concrete. Anyway, that one went a little better, didn't it? Oh, it's good. It's good. 
but community is important. You know, because if we get this right, it's beyond community. It's meant to be radical family. Radical family in such a way that that's what we're known for. That's how we become known. And so, yeah, it took guts to stand there and say, we will, as a community, support that family. It takes even more guts to be radical and do it. And not only should believers create these radical families, there is a huge implication to seeing Jesus touch this man, to seeing Jesus touch the untouchable, the devalued, the put out, the divided away. Because this is an image of God's community, a community where there isn't division, a community where there isn't devaluing, a community where there isn't people cast out. This is a place where we are together. You know, you quite often see in a newspaper um, coins that are worth like 10 times their value because they had a printing error. So in the ancient Near East, if you were born with a defect, you were put out. But in modern times, if you have a coin with a printing error, you are worth 10 times your value. That's how God works. You are worth more than your value. You are worth dying for. So his house is a house where worship is not hindered by division or separation or putting out. It is something where the worship is fueled by the radicalness of the family we have become. So I'm going to round up now because we have something powerful to offer the world, which is true community, radical family. We are to be an active imagination of a kingdom reality, a kingdom truth. So in the season ahead, which is looking pretty bleak, and if it's looking bleak in Liverpool, it's got to be bleak down here too. We need to meet the needs of Dover. In all the ways we can, whether it's food banks or other things we're doing, we need to, in this season, meet the needs of Dover. We also need to be brave enough to ask, how can we touch Dover? I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that we could be here together for a dedication and just a family celebration, Lord. I pray that we will continue to be people that first for this family, this radical family, Lord, that we will commit to it, that we will give ourselves to it, and that will thrive in a way that people will be pulled into it, that people will be drawn to it, that people will be desperate for it, that we can be a radical family that doesn't just meet the needs, but actually touches the heart of the community and the people in it, Lord. I pray that in a season ahead that does look bleak in human eyes, it can be triumphant in kingdom eyes because of what you can do in this season, in this moment, in this time with these people. In your name we pray. Amen.